the kids are filtering out, I invite you to grab your Bibles and uh, open up with me. Uh, we're going to start in the book of 1 Timothy. We're going to be in two, three, or four different verses this morning, uh, but we will start in 1 Timothy. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn uh, with me to 1 Timothy. I wanted to let you guys know, I don't know if you noticed this last week or not, but we actually have some brand new pew Bibles. And so uh, we uh, hopefully maybe we'll get, in, get a few more here um, to scatter them out, but uh, you can see that they're in the pew. And so um, feel free to grab one of those if you uh, forgot your Bible. Uh, you can follow along in our NIV text. And so um, as you guys are doing that and getting your Bibles ready and uh, getting your notepads out or whatever it is that you do um, when I preach, uh, I'd invite you to uh, let's turn in prayer one more time and we'll ask God to bless our time in his word this morning. Father, thank you so much just for a rich morning. Thanks for uh, the privilege of being encouraged by the crucifixion and the resurrection of our son. We anticipate it this week. We worship uh, your son uh, this week. I pray that all of us would spend time in your word and in prayer, pondering, uh, reliving in our hearts and in our minds, or maybe even on uh, videos, uh, what it is that your son has done for us. We want it to be fresh. We want it to be new. We want it to be very real to us. Um, and so would you do that uh, this week as we ponder and reflect and prepare for Good Friday and ultimately for the celebration of Easter? Father, we ask now that you would be with us, that your spirit would guide us into all truth, uh, that spirit, you would be our teacher now. Uh, spirit, please come and speak through me words that are accurate and true, not my opinion, but yours. And may we see um, what it is that you would have for us to see. In particular, as we wrap up this series, Father, on church leadership and eldership and what it is to be a biblically God-honoring, Christ-centered um, church. Uh, it's so vital that we be that and that we have the kind of leadership, the kind of men uh, that you desire for us to have. And so as we wrap this up, uh, would you be among us? Would you be uh, instructing us, teaching us, and allowing us to be conformed to your word? We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. So this morning, we are going to wrap up our very short three-part series uh, called The Ox. Um, I know it probably, realize, uh, it probably feels like we've been in this series for about five or six weeks because we've had three sermons on it, but they've been scattered <laughs> over several weeks. And so we're going to wrap it up this morning before Easter uh, in our really short three-part series called The Ox, uh, taken uh, from... First uh, Timothy, where uh, Paul calls the elders of the church, the pastor elders of the church, he likens them to oxen, uh, plowing spiritual ground uh, day by day. And so part three, the ox, his duties, and his people. Quite simply, uh, this sermon is going to break up really nicely into two parts. First of all, we're going to take a, a look at the ox and his duties. That is, what do pastors and elders, pastor and or elders, what are they supposed to do in the church? What are their rules, uh, uh, roles, that is? What are their duties? And then secondly, we're going to take a look at the ox and his people. That is, uh, those of us who are in the church, uh, how are we, you, to relate to the leadership, to the pastor elders of the church? And so that's where we're going to be this morning. Uh, I want to begin, uh, Christian Beacon writes, uh, has written a really short article in Christian magazine, uh, in a Christian magazine, and I'd like to, to share it with you. Um, he writes these um, timely words. Uh, he says this, After hundreds of years, a model preacher has been found to suit everyone. He preaches exactly 20 minutes and then sits down. He condemns sin but never hurts anyone's feelings. 
He works from 8 a.m. to 10 p.m. in every type of work, from preaching to custodial service. He tithes weekly to the church and stands ready to contribute to every good work that comes along. He's 26 years old and has been preaching 30 years. He's tall and short, thin and heavyset and handsome. Well, you got that one right at least, right? He has one brown eye and one blue eye, hair parted down the middle, left side dark and straight, right side brown and wavy. He has a burning desire to work with teenagers and spends all of his time with older folks. He smiles all the time with a straight face because he has a sense of humor that keeps him seriously dedicated to his work. He makes 15 calls a day on church members, spends all of his time evangelizing the unchurched, and is never out of the office. Now, wouldn't you like a pastor elder like that? Um, Of course, this is a bit tongue-in-cheek, but it raises the question... What is it that elders, pastors, have made the argument that pastors, elders, overseers, bishops, these are all synonymous words in the New Testament for the one office of pastor-elder. So what is it that we're supposed to be doing? What is it that elder pastors do in the church? Um, We're going to see uh, in part one, the oxen and his duties, uh, that there are kind of three main roles. And so if you're taking notes, we're going to see that shepherds lead and feed and protect. That's basically what shepherds are called to do. Lead the flock, feed the flock, and protect the the flock. make a quick reference. In 1 Peter chapter 5, what we see is that one of the primary images of the pastor-elder used in the New Testament is that of the pastor-elder as shepherd. Uh, that's not a coincidence that Jesus is called the chief shepherd. Remember, we talked about that a few weeks ago. Jesus is the senior pastor of the church. He's the ultimate shepherd of his sheep. And then under him are under-shepherds, if you will, or assistant associate pastors. And that is what we're talking about, this image of pastor elders shepherding the church of God like a shepherd in the ancient Middle East would lead and shepherd his sheep. First Peter 5.2, uh, Peter tells the elders in Asia Minor, he says this, he says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. And so what we're going to see is that shepherds, like shepherds back in the day, do three main functions. And the first, the first duty is that of leading the flock. Now, uh, if you do a little bit of study on sheep and shepherding, what you'll find out is that sheep inherently don't have a nice or a good sense of direction. If you've ever been anywhere with me on the road, uh, you'll notice that I carry my GPS with me at all places and uh, at all times. That's because I don't know north from south, east from west, and I can go in a building one way, go out the building the next, and be completely turned around. I don't have much of a sense of direction. Um, I need my GPS to lead me. Um, You know, that's kind of what shepherds would do. Sheep need leading. They don't naturally go to the green pastures. They don't naturally go into the pens. And so sheep need shepherds to lead them, to lead them to water, to lead them to green grass, to lead them away from danger. And so what spiritual sheep do, pastor elders, is they lead the sheep. They lead them to sustenance and to safety. Um, A couple passages I want us to look at. The first is in 1 Timothy 5. And so 1 Timothy 5, I want us to, to see what Paul says. He uses this word, manage. He says that elders, pastors are to manage the church. And in 1 Timothy 3, 5, 
he says this, if anyone does not know in the context of uh, the qualifications of elders, if anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? And the basic premise is this, is that leadership development uh, is first made in the home. And so if a man provides good leadership to his household, then he could provide good leadership to the household of God. And if he cannot provide good leadership to his wife and kids, then we shouldn't let him provide leadership in the church. And so he uses this word, manage. Uh, The verse that we're going to look at in the next point, I'll just make a reference to. In chapter 5 of 1 Timothy, in verse 17, Paul says this, The elders who direct the affairs of the church are are well, are worthy of double honor. So you have these words that Paul uses. They manage God's household. They direct the affairs of the church. All of this points us to, to the simple fact that sheep need shepherds to lead them. And so what does this look like in a practical sense? I think it looks like a wide variety of things, but let me just suggest a few ways that pastor elders are to lead the flock of God. Uh, We lead by making decisions, day in, day out, decisions about the organization and management of the church, and larger decisions as well. Problem solving, when problems arise in the church, Elders provide leadership here. Uh, Maybe things like setting church policy. What is going to happen? What is not going to happen? Vision setting is a really important thing that elders, pastors should do. Setting the vision for the direction of the church. It also involves a couple other things. uh, Overseeing church finances. And so we oversee and ensure that we are doing it in an honorable, right way. That we use funds in a way that's uh, towards the purpose of the church. And finally, handling disputes. People disputes. Those kind of things things. Uh, And so number one, pastor elders simply do this. They lead the flock. They lead the flock. Secondly, not only do pastor elders lead the flock, but they also feed the flock. Uh, Obviously, these are tied together. In that day, uh, shepherds would not only lead them uh, away from danger, but they would lead them to new green pastures. And so they would go and the sheep would graze. And then when the, uh, the grass was gone, they would find other pastures. They would feed the flock in a physical sense. They would lead them to green pastures, to still waters, uh, echoing Psalm 23, to drink. And the same is true for spiritual sheep. Spiritual sheep need shepherds who will feed them God's word. Spiritual sheep need shepherds who will feed and lead them to the green pastures of healthy doctrine and Bible teaching. Notice uh, again, 1 Timothy 5.17. I'll repeat it. The elders who direct the affairs of the church are worthy of double honor. And then notice this addition. Especially those, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. Notice the emphasis on preaching and teaching. And so elders who rule and direct the church, they're worthy of honor. But then there are elders in addition who focus their efforts, who are gifted at teaching and preaching and doctrine. And so we're supposed to feed the flock. Uh, We see, uh, going back to chapter 3, that Paul says that an elder must be able to teach. He must be able to teach. That is, he must be able to handle the Bible correctly. He must be able to interpret the Bible in a way that's healthy and honest and full of integrity. And he must be able to guard against false doctrine. He must be able to clearly articulate the truths as found in the scriptures. Um, 
ran across a story that I found uh, interesting, uh, a true story, uh, back in the day when Billy Graham was just getting started. I think we're all familiar with who Billy Graham is. Uh, back in the day, he would go kind of as an itinerant preacher doing things that he would do, preaching the gospel, having revival uh, sermons and whatnot. And so he was going to this one uh, small town, and uh, he got there a day early, and he was, you know, checking out the town, meeting people, that kind of thing. And as the story goes, he had something that he needed to put into the mail. Uh, and so he couldn't find uh, the post office. And so he was walking down the street, uh, say Main Street, and he runs across a little boy. And he asks this little boy, and he says, can you tell me the way to the post office? I have something that I need to mail. And the little boy said, sure, uh, you know, take two blocks uh, straight and a block to the right, or whatever it, it was that he said. And he directed uh, Mr. Graham to the post office box. And so uh, Mr. Graham said, well, thank you, uh, son. I really appreciate that. I tell you what, I'm in town and I'm going to be preaching at so-and-so church later tonight. And if you come, I can tell you not only how to get to the post office, but I can tell you how to get to heaven. And the little boy was unfazed by this because he immediately responded. He said, well, sir, if you can't tell me how to get to the post office, you sure can't tell me how to get to heaven. (laughs) Um, Pastor elders must be able to feed the flock. They must be able to teach. They must be able to clearly articulate the good news of Jesus Christ to tell people how they can have a relationship with God to get to heaven. So this could look like a lot of different things as elder pastors feed the church. Uh, It could involve determining doctrine. That's one of the really significant things that elders do is they set what is it as a church that we are going to believe on certain doctrinal positions. It could involve things like preaching like I'm doing now. It can involve things like teaching Sunday school in a more formal Sunday school kind of a setting. I think it also involves teaching in maybe a small group setting. Maybe not a Sunday school setting, but you're leading a discussion at a small group. That, I think, constitutes teaching. Maybe you teach little children verses at Awana. Maybe you're better on one-on-one situations giving biblical, sound, counseling advice. I think all of these things are wrapped up in the possibility of feeding the flock. And so the elder has a couple duties. Uh, we lead the flock, we, uh, we feed the flock. Thirdly, we protect the flock. This is related to feeding the flock. Um, again, uh, in that day and even still, um, I read a bit about the tendencies of sheep. And I found it quite interesting as a shepherd was uh, talking about the tendencies of sheep and especially the tendencies of sheep when they are under attack, when maybe a wolf or a bear or whatever it is might be attacking the sheep. And I'll just paraphrase what he said. He basically said that the tendencies of sheep when they're under attack from the outside is that they turn a blind eye towards their brother or their sister, so to speak, getting attacked. They pretend or block it out. They just go about their normal routine so that if a wolf is getting the sheep that's standing right next to them, there's no reaction. There's no recognition that there is danger and they just keep doing what it is that they're doing to the peril of both their neighbor, so to speak, and to ultimately themselves. I found this fascinating because not only do elder, pastor, shepherds lead, not only do we feed, but part of what we do is that we protect the spiritual sheep from spiritual wolves. Spiritual sheep need protecting from doctrinal wolves. Turn with me now to the book of Acts. We've been in 1 Timothy. Turn backwards a bit to the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 20, uh, Paul is talking to the elders at the city of Ephesus. And I want you to 
here this image of protecting the flock that Paul talks about. Chapter 20, starting in verse 29. Acts 20, 29, and we'll read through 30. Paul, uh, actually let's start in 28. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. 29. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. Verse 31, so be on guard, be on guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you day and night with tears. And so we see that pastors lead and we feed, but we must protect the sheep from spiritual wolves. Um, notice that there, Paul says there will be these spiritual wolves that will come in both from the outside and from the inside. Do you notice that? Verse 29, that wolves will come in among you. That is, they'll come from the outside, from the world. They'll make their home uh, from among you. There will be threats from the outside world. Notice verse 30, and from among you yourselves also. That is, there will be spiritual wolves that will look like sheep, uh, but they're not. They are wolves in sheep clothing. And Paul says that you, as an elder, must determine and protect the flock from spiritual danger, from doctrinal danger. In a series upcoming, maybe this summer, most likely in the fall, um, I hope to do a series um, entitled The Truth and the Lie. Uh, If you were in Sunday school this morning, you got a taste. I'm stealing that from Romans 1 and from this conference. But I hope to talk about what are some of the spiritual... uh, who are, excuse me, some of the wolves in sheep clothing that are out there? What are some of the things that we need to be aware of? But I guarantee you, folks, um, there are spiritual wolves out there who seek to distort the truth. They are all over the place, from the local church to the largest TV station. They're out there. And so we have to protect the flock. This, this involves things like pointing out error. And so we point our, out scriptural error. We warn people of the implication of believing wrongly, of unhealthy doctrine. And we make the church aware that there are spiritual wolves out there. And so, quite simply, this is what we are to do. And so as we look for elders, as we look towards the possibility of Dan Schumacher being an elder, these are the things that elders do. And I want to paint the picture that this is not just what the pastor does. I do this. Pastor, elder, yes, I absolutely do this, but I'm not to do it alone. Every time in the New Testament when elders are spoken of, uh, it's in the plurality. There are to be multiple elders. And so the picture that I want to paint for you that I hope we can move towards is simply this. There are a team of pastor elders of which I provide leadership and direction, But there is a team of pastor elders, and what we hope to do is lead you and feed you and protect you. That's what we want. And so this is the ox and his duties. This is what leaders, this is what elders, this is what pastors are to do. So then the question is, transitioning a bit, how then is the church to respond to us? How are you as the church to respond to spiritual leadership, to our leading, to our feeding, to our protecting? Um, I think there are are two responses. And so if you're looking for an outline, there are a couple responses. Number one, 
we respond with submission to their leadership. And so the pastors and the elders lead and the sheep submit. Secondly, uh, in responding to feeding and protecting, there should be respect. So there should be submission for their leadership, respect for the role of feeding and protecting. Uh, Number one, I'll show you where this is. Uh, Turn with me now to the book of Hebrews. So turn a bit to the right in your Bibles to the book of Hebrews chapter 13. And we're going to see that um, the people of God are to submit to the leadership of the church. Uh, Hebrews 13, as I find it in this new Bible, and you can find it as well. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. If you you have a pew Bible, page 976. Uh, The first thing that we see is that the church is called to submit to healthy, godly, biblical, Christ-honoring leadership. Uh, Verse 17. Let's read this together. 13, 17. Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy and not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. Uh, first thing I want to point out is that most every other translation uh, translates the word confidence, have confidence as obey. In fact, I don't know why the NIV translates it that way. It's obey. That's the term, New American Standard, ESV, King James. Uh, so what he's saying here is obey your leaders and submit to their leadership. I want us to look at a couple reasons. We see pretty plainly, that's, that's understandable. We understand what uh, the author of Hebrews is saying when he uses the word obey and submit. But what I don't want us to miss is that there are two very good reasons why the church is to respond this way. Number one, first, because elder pastors care for you. They care for, their, for your spiritual life, and they're held accountable for doing that. Notice what it says. Because, so here's reason number one, because they, referring to elders, they keep watch over you. They keep watch over you as those who must give an account. For myself, uh, for other elders at Grace, speaking for Jay, possibly Dan. This is a solemn verse for us. Um, I don't take it lightly. I don't take it lightly that I will have to give an account for how I watch over you as a church. But notice, it says that we keep watch over you. We are accountable for caring for you. And that's the first reason why submission is to be had. I think of it, I think of it this way. I think of it in terms of parenting. Uh, obviously, I have one and one on the way. And so all of this parenting is new to me, and I'm certainly learning. But I think of it this way. As a parent, and I have children, probably one of my main goals as a parent is to teach my child obedience is to teach my child obedience. And if you have kids, I hope that's your goal too. I want them to be happy, but I want them to obey because that's what God says. And so I want them to obey me because one day I want them to obey God. I want them to place their faith in God. Um, I want my kid to obey. Um, And I have authority. As a father, uh, we see scripturally that I have authority in the household. Uh, That authority is given to the father. Um, Just like here, uh, authority is given to leadership. It says, have confidence, obey them, submit to their authority. So there is is authority there. And as parents, you know that that is one way that you can make your child obey. You have authority. If they uh, disobey, uh, you can discipline them in whatever way that seems right to you at that point. But you know what? As a parent... 
I don't want my child simply to obey me because of my authority. I want them to obey me, but I want them to obey me because they trust me. I want them to obey me because they know that I have their best interests in mind. I want them to obey me in love because I know when I tell my two-year-old son who has a newfound interest in plugging out things into wall outlets, when I tell him, don't plug something in, let daddy and mommy do it, I want him to obey because I have authority and because I said so. But ultimately, and underneath that, I want him to obey because he hopefully will come to realize that that's dangerous for him. It can hurt him. It can take his life from him. And I want him to obey because I have authority, but also because I do what elders do. I keep watch over him. I keep watch over him. That's my job, is to keep watch over my son, to care for him. And I think the same is true here for the church as a a whole. Yes, there is authority given to leadership in the church, but the reason why the author says that you are to submit and obey is because they care for you. And so when they say, don't do that, it's because they care for your spiritual life. When they say, don't go with that guy, don't go with that girl, don't do this, don't do that, do do this, do do that, it's because, because we love you and we want what's best for you. That's the first reason why. Secondly, not only does the author of Hebrews say submit because elder pastors care for you, but secondly, because it ultimately benefits you. Notice the reasoning here. Notice the last, the last uh, sentence. <clears throat> do this so that their work, that is the work of the elder pastors, do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden. And here's the clause. For that would be of no benefit for you. Uh, Simply what he's saying is this. He says, believers who are rebellious, who are unsubmissive, are a burden to the elders, are a burden to the pastors, and thus they make the pastor and they make the elder less effective. Do you see that? Makes them less effective. And so back into the parenting sphere. Um, Those of you who are parents, have been parents, will be parents, um, you can probably attest to the fact that when you are raising your child, teaching them to obey you out of authority and because you have their best interest in mind, um, when when is parenting a joy for you? When they obey out of authority and love or when they disobey, are rebellious and cause you to be, as the text says, it makes you groan. That's what that word means. It means groaning. It makes you as a parent say, oh. That's what that word literally means. Um, I can guarantee you that every parent in the room would say, parenting is a lot more joyful, right? So that their work will be a joy. Parenting is a lot more joyful when your kids obey you (laughs) and they do it because you have their best interest in mind. Parenting can be, oh, when they don't. That is precisely what this text is saying. But ultimately, he says that if that's the case, if you make your leadership, if you cause a burden to be on them, ultimately, that's not good for you. Ultimately, it's not for your benefit. I want to quote um, Alexander Strzok. He is the eldership guru. And if you want to read a book on eldership, which I don't imagine any of you would really like to, it's about this thick. I've read it all. And uh, he's the elder guru. This is what he has to say uh, regarding this verse. 
Sometimes good shepherds give up because of the painful kicks and deep bites of disobedient sheep. When that occurs, here's the point, when that occurs, everyone in the congregation suffers. And so what he's saying is that a pastor who is burdened, who is groaning, is not, is not as good of an elder as he would be if the church would submit and obey. Um, so let me get out of the abstract and into the uh, more practical or uh, experienced side. Uh, this past week, you guys uh, graciously allowed me to go to the Gospel Coalition Conference in Chicago. It was excellent. I'm so grateful uh, to go. We talked about all, hort- all sorts of good and wonderful things, but that's not the point. The point is this. I was able to go with a pastor buddy of mine. Uh, he's not from this town. Uh, he lives in Paxton. Uh, but he and I meet with regularity to share uh, our burdens, to pray for one another, to encourage one another, to sharpen one another in the faith. And he was able to go with me. And uh, it was such a delight to go with him and to spend time with him. But his uh, experience at this point with his church is precisely what the author of Hebrews is saying. He conveyed to me throughout the week, um, there are all sorts of things going on in his church. Personal accusations against him. Personal accusations against his wife. Distrust, backbiting, lies. Um, And that's just to tip of the iceberg. There's a lot of things that he has really gone through. Um, And he it kind of hit me when he started to say, you know what, Trey, this has been so good. It's revived me. It's kind of caused my spirits to to want to lead again. And he said, you know what? Having gone through a year's worth of dealing with this, all of, all of the things that I've done, he said, I've lost my focus. I've lost my passion. It's become a job to me rather than a ministry. It's because something that I have to do to get a paycheck rather than something that I want to do to serve God's people. It's taken it out of me. That's not a quotation, but that's essentially what he said. And I thought, that's what Hebrews is saying. When that happens from a church standpoint, the leader is less effective. And that is exactly what happens. And so applicationally speaking, um, would you consider yourself to be submissive or obedient to the authority in the local church? Um, Do you follow the leadership where it feels God is leading even if you don't prefer it, even if it's not your preference. Uh, in my church experience, and this is my first time as a, not a senior pastor, because Jesus is the senior pastor, but you know what I'm saying, as the pastor uh, that leads the church. Uh, this is my first rodeo regarding that, but I've been in a lot of churches as youth pastors, and I've seen a lot of things. Uh, and what I've seen, mostly in my experience, is that when people don't like the leadership, when there's distrust, when there's rebellion, when there's contention, not all of the time, but most of the time, it's not over matters of truth. It's not over issues that are clearly biblical. It's not like the leader saying, you know what, this Jesus guy, I don't know, Buddha's looking pretty cool. We can rub his tummy. Let's go that direction, you know? It's not because of that. It's not because he's like, man, resurrection. I think that's, a, that's just a myth. That really didn't happen. It's not because of those things. It's not like they're saying, you know what, instead of reaching people with the gospel, uh, we really, we just need to, we need to make coffee. That's what we need to do, make coffee. You get the point. It's not those things that cause contention. Most of the time, it's preference, it's opinion. It's the color of the carpet or the style of the music or uh, the minist- this ministry, we're going to do it this way or that way. It's, it's merely opinion. 
that causes most of the fighting that at least I've been a part of. And so number one, the ox and his people. The author of Hebrews calls for submission. Number two, and we're going to wrap up. Finally, not only uh, do sheep submit to the leadership of the shepherd, but they respect the feeding and the protecting. Notice the connections here. They respect the elder pastors because they feed the flock and they protect the flock. Turn with me now, excuse me, to 1 Thessalonians. And so backwards a little bit. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. This will be our last text for the morning. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 through 13. We see Paul once again uh, addressing the church And uh, this is what he says, calling them to respect and honor the leadership in the church, uh, starting in verse 12. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. So the second thing that we see is that elder pastors feed, right? We feed the the flock spiritual truth. And notice what it says that who care for you in the Lord and who admonish you. That's feeding, that's feeding you spiritual truth. Secondly, it says who care for you. That's protecting. You protect the sheep. And so basically what I want us to see is uh, notice the verbs. Notice the commands. The first one is acknowledge. He says, he says, acknowledge those who work hard among you. Literally, it can be translated, appreciate them, respect them. Uh, and so when we are at, a, say, like a high school sports banquet and an award is being given and we say, I, I would like to publicly recognize Mrs. So-and-so, so-and-so for having an outstanding basketball year and she comes up, when we use that word, we publicly recognize them. It's not that we're just saying, oh yeah, she played on the team, right? It's, We're recognizing what they have done, and we honor that. That's the sense of the word here. Secondly, notice the other command. Hold them in the highest regard. It essentially means value them highly. Value what they do for the church highly. Again, Alexander Strzok is helpful here. He says, caring for people's spiritual welfare is stressful work, emotionally draining, time-consuming, and often monotonous and discouraging. Our natural tendency is to take our leaders for granted, forget what they have done for us, complain rather than be thankful, accentuate the bad, and disregard the good. Um, I want to read for you a a short article. um, And this article is entitled uh, entitled this, 10 Phrases to Encourage Your Pastor. But we'll make it broader, to encourage your elders, to encourage your leadership. 10 phrases that if heard, the pastor would be encouraged by. Number one, hey, it's my turn to sit in the front pew. Thanks, Steve. (laughs) Appreciate that, man. (laughs) Number two, I was so enthralled, I never noticed that your sermon went 25 minutes overtime. (laughs) None of you ever look at the clock, do you? Number three, personally, I find witnessing more enjoyable than playing golf. That would encourage my heart. I dearly want to be a Sunday school teacher in the junior high class. Where do I sign up? (laughs) And by the way, if you want to, let me know. Uh, Number five, forget the denominational minimum salary. Let's pay our pastor so that he can live like we do. Number six, I love it when we sing hymns I've never heard before. Number seven, since we're all here, let's just start the service early. (laughs) 
which usually I'm not the one here, so that's my fault. Number eight, nothing inspires me and strengthens my commitment like an annual stewardship campaign. One on the way. No, just kidding. (laughs) Pastor, we'd like to send you to this continuing education seminar in the Bahamas. (laughs) Forget Chicago, right? (laughs) Number 10, I've decided to give uh, to our church the $500 a month that I'm used to sending to TV evangelists. That would be encouraging to every pastor. You know, uh, all of those things will certainly encourage pastor elders. Uh, We're going to wrap up. I want to ask you a few questions. When was the last time that you told one of your leaders, not just me, that you appreciated what they do? When was the last time that you told them that? Do you value them highly? Do you consider what I and other leaders in the church do as necessary? I mean, I just want you to really consider that. Do you consider what we do as valuable or necessary? How you talk about them to other people will show whether you consider them necessary and highly regard them. How you talk to them also will show whether you consider them valuable or not. Um, And so we are, in summary, called to submit to the leadership of the church, to respect their feeding and their protecting. And so wrapping up, what is it that I'm supposed to be doing? What is it that Jay's supposed to be doing? What is it that possibly Elder Dan is supposed to be doing? How are we supposed to be leading the church? What is the model elder? What's our duties? Are we to condemn sin without hurting feelings? Are we to be 26 and have 30 years of experience? Are we to smile with a straight face? Are we to have 15 visits while never being out of the office? What is it that we're supposed to do? In part three of the ox, we've seen that the pastor elder leads the sheep. He feeds the flock. He protects from wolves. And as a proper response, then the sheep submit to that leadership and respect his feeding and his protecting. And when that happens... When that happens, look at the tail end of verse 13. When that happens, Paul says, hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. And then finally he says, live in peace with one another. You want to know how a church lives in peace with one another? It's when elders play the role of a healthy, godly shepherd. And when the sheep play the role of a healthy, godly sheep. And then... We live in peace with one another. Let's pray.